0: Welcome to the Sea Change Podcast with Audrey Lawrence, helping you smash your goals and unstick what's holding you back using the best hack from science and psychology. And now, here's Audrey.
1: Hey, it's Audrey Lawrence, and welcome to another episode of the Sea Change Network, broadcasting on WWPR and the Sea Change Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts from. Today, we want to understand why our brain does that and how we can hack science and psychology to better reach our goals. And we couldn't have a better guest to ask today. Dr. Andrew Martin is a professional psychologist licensed in New Jersey, Maryland, Ohio, and Virginia, and a graduate of George Washington University. Thank you, Dr. Martin, so much for being here with us today.
0: It's very nice to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, listen, I have been dying about this question. There's one piece of information that has caused this journey for me. And it's sort of that aha moment where I feel like you have to sit down and process this bit of information that is we as people only hit our goals about 7% of the time. I find this just so alarming. How is it that in business, we succeed at an epic rate, and the stock market goes up always in a positive way, and interest rates, if they move, we hear about it even a quarter percent, but in our own lives, it's okay that we fail 93% of the time. Can you imagine if we told our children, yeah, congratulations, go out there, kill it in life, but you're probably only going to make it, nah, you know, about 7% of the time that to me shocking. And it's alarming. And I feel like the conversation needs to be had about why. And when I was doing the research for the book, Sea Change, I realized that so much of it spins on this simple conversation of self-doubt, that it's that simple. The boardroom doesn't struggle with self-doubt and the stock market doesn't struggle with self-doubt. But when it comes to us achieving our own goals, self-doubt is the single hinge point that holds us back. Is it really true, Dr. Martin, that self-doubt is just the mental habit of questioning our worth? Is it really that simple? And why haven't we looked at this further?
0: No, good good questions. I think um, you are know, you, you're, you're definitely on the right trail for for answering that question in, in terms of the relationship with the self playing playing a key role at, at the heart of doubt. Um, you know, when I when I think about the difference between the boardroom and personal endeavors like you laid out there, there there's a couple ideas that come to mind like how a person structures their time um how they deal with unknowns how they um engage in you know, the, what, what might feel like the, the passive experience of, of doubting oneself which might actually be more of an active resistance of oneself
1: interesting
0: well so those, those would be some some things maybe to for us to follow up on
1: so is self-doubt something that is built into us inherently? Is it something that we sort of perpetuate? Or is it something that just we're built like that, and we have no ability to change? Like, it's just hardwired into us?
0: Um, well, I think it's it's part of us being humans in a real world, right? You know, the, the idea of, you know, the, what's possible in the world versus what's probable is uh, a recurrent theme in a lot of work that I do with people who struggle with procrastination, doubts, uh, doubting themselves, uh, the imposter syndrome, which being based in, on, on Ivy League campus is just rampant you know, <laughs> the students that I see um, uh, And I think it's probably at the, at the heart of a lot of anxiety too you know, this idea that you know, anxiety really plays with the, the things we fear that are possible in the world, which doubt slides right into you know mm-hmm. the idea that we're not going to make the goal we're not going to be successful versus looking at really what's what's probable which is a different, um, different type of experience.
1: What I found so interesting when I started researching this doubt factor was that it doesn't take like an entire conversation of doubt in our head. It doesn't take a mentality that you were raised in negative framing. It doesn't take, oh, I've had a terrible life. It takes one single sentence to mm-hmm. block the path of positive. It takes one single moment where you have a decision to move forward on your life and your goals, and that little doubt creeps in saying, I'm probably not good enough today. Today's not my day, or whatever that conversation is. And for me, you know, I constantly hear that "Eh, today's not your best day, Audrey. Maybe you should just skip it and consider it tomorrow. And if that manifests as, like you say, procrastination. Or if it turns into something that just gets shelved and becomes this junkyard of who I wanted to be, I call it my doppelganger junkyard. You know, all of the things I wanted to be with my life, but it's robbed from me from these little moments where doubt just creeps in, this little insidious poison that steals away my hopes and my dreams in exchange for maybe I'll have a better opportunity tomorrow. But slowly, it just takes over. Slowly I lose these hopes, and this light of purpose is extinguished by what we know as doubt. Mm-hmm. You know, is it really something that we can protect ourselves against, or are we just stuck with this factor and it's wired into us and we don't have an opportunity to change our path?
0: Yeah, well, I think it is it is something certainly to be worked with. Um, maybe not to be eliminated or eradicated, but I think about it more as, as making the right space for it in oneself and in one's thinking. You know, there's the, the idea of doubt is part and parcel with having faith. You can't have faith without having some degree of doubt. Otherwise it's just blind naivete, I think.
1: So I can't have faith without having doubt. Is it because they're polar opposites of each other or because they counterbalance? I don't understand.
0: Well, cause I think, you know, to, to have a grounded, real faith m- means you need to consider as many sides as you can. Right. Right. In- including the side where it doesn't work out or, right. and because otherwise I think it is just more, more of a pie in the sky, disconnected, naive approach to things that, that probably does as much disservice to an individual as, as, as having too much doubt. Right. So, so it's not uncommon to, for the kids that I see in therapy is, is. You know, they want to grow up to be the Michael Jordans and, Le- and LeBron James, but they've never put their foot on, on basketball court, <laughs> you know, and that, that's naive, right? Right. Um, you know, it's, it's, I think it's more um, a more grounded personality, you know, somebody who, who maybe gets on the basketball court and works and sweats and has a lot of hopes and dreams. Maybe they might play D1 someday, but they're not so sure. And that doubt can actually serve to drive them and motivate them, you know, if they make sp- the right space for it.
1: Interesting. So so I, for hours. Channeling that self-doubt, I think starts from that place of being able to identify it. Mm-hmm. For me, I struggle in that mentality that it's not acceptable to frame myself like that. It's, mm-hmm. and I think it's those quiet conversations that I have between my ears that I don't share with anybody else that slowly talks me out of these things. Right. And for me, I have to have that moment where I say, wait a minute, this self-conversation isn't the conversation that is going to get me to where I want to be. So I try to balance my goal against this internal conversation with what I like to call negative Nancy. Like no offense to any of my Nancy friends, please don't send me any letters or emails or call into the show. I have plenty of dear friends named Nancy, but for the lack of a better example, we'll just name this negative energy as Nancy. And so often I find that Nancy's writing shotgun with me. And I try to make a decision. And then I sort of have this chirping in the back of my head about, well, worthiness or well, self-doubt, or am I deserved? And isolating those moments for me has been a huge opportunity to help me sort of harness something deeper, help me sort of shelf what it is to to put aside the things that hold me back, that suspend my progress, that tether my success. And I think it tethers everybody's success. I think that if it's between the distance between you and your goal and what stands in the way is Nancy. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I, I want to, I want her gone, you know, I want to identify her so that I can drop her off at the next bus stop and not have her riding shotgun with me all day long. What are some of the things that we can do in our internal conversation to help identify the topic of negative talk, negative self-talk?
0: Yeah, well, I think even in, in your, your image there of you know, the, the negative Nancy, the person riding shotgun in the car kind of talking you down from what you want to do that that in itself is a great exercise right because the relationship with oneself is is what is sometimes called the invisible relationship you know you don't don't think about it as like a relationship you have with your husband or your wife or your friend but operates under the exact same principles right and so that's great
1: i'm just going to grab onto that for a second that self-relationship So that invisible relationship, I think that's huge. You know, I think to declare a relationship and I know I'm grabbing you off topic, but to declare a relationship with yourself, to own that and to value it and to prioritize it and to give it what you'd feed any other relationship with. How do you feed a relationship? You give it time, you give it love, you give it attention, you prioritize it, you make space in your life for it to grow. I'm not sure I've ever really declared that for myself. I think that's a beautiful exercise. Thank you, Dr. Martin, you're brilliant. That's a really cool practice. Maybe we should turn that into something. Maybe we'll add that to the workshop because the conversation about how to be have, in a, have a relationship with yourself is probably the starting place, probably the keystone in this process for opening the door and unfurling doubt. Okay. Now I'm done with that. You go back to where you were if you can find that spot. But that was brilliant yeah.
0: to me. Thank yeah. you. Well, yeah, I think just, just to build on that for a moment, it's, it's, you know, when you think about like, you know, when we take care of people who are dependent upon us, like our kids, our, our pets, even, we are, we are so much more inclined to get them to the doctor, you know, at the first sign of any trouble to give them their medicine the exact time they need it. But when it comes to ourselves, you know, how, how, how long do we let that ride?
1: You know? Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So, so it factors out on many different levels. There's that, that relationship with oneself, but it's the same dynamic of, you know, taking, protecting oneself, taking responsibility for what's important.
1: Wow. Um,
0: establishing those boundaries of what's, what's helpful and healthy for a person.
1: You know, and it's funny, isn't it so obvious sounding? But really, if you ask yourself the question, Am I engaging in a healthy relationship with myself? Mm -hmm. My big fat answer is no, because I'm X amount of weeks late for any doctor's appointment. You fill in the blank, and everyone else in my family is fed and taken care of and nurtured and loved, hopefully, and feeling very connected to themselves. And Mm -hmm. mom at the end of the day has like a mom bun on at the top of the head and totally not prioritizing self. Right. Wow. That's okay. what so you just gave me a ton of homework. Thanks for that. <laughs> self, self. So yeah. finding a practice that prioritizes <laughs> myself and then inside that self time, addressing those conversations that are so negative. Mm-hmm. You know, I really love understanding more about how to nurture myself for the express purpose of hitting a goal. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk more about After a break, we're going to take a quick break with Dr. Martin. But when we return, we're going to talk about some strategies about how we can isolate those moments of self-doubt and combat negative Nancy to drop her off at the next bus stop and not let that chick back into our car. Okay, all of you sit tight. We'll be back after these messages coming up with these personal moments to be able to love and nurture ourselves, a better practice for identifying self-doubt. But what are some of the things we can do? Is it really true that it is just a habit, that self-doubt is a mental habit of questioning your worth? And if it's just a habit, can't it be broken?
0: Um, Essentially, yes, on on both counts. So habits are are what you do over time, right? It's, it's, uh, It's behaviors and practices that you do Consciously or unconsciously, day after day, week after week, month after month. Um, and habits, unfortunately, have the, have the, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, have the effect of sinking into that unconscious muscle memory script of life, right? So I think, you know, what, what you're encouraging people to do is, is make it more of a conscious exercise you know, to, to look at things in a more uh, mindful, aware, um, present manner. You know, much, much like this relationship with, with the negative Nancy that we were talking about.
1: <laughs> that girl's got to go. Right. <laughs> There's been no room for her in this life of mine. I have too many goals, too many things I want to hit, too many things that are important to me, and I need to prioritize the practices that get me there. And though it's obvious to not be negative, there are some deeper wired things in our brain about why this is true. And while I was doing the research, I stumbled on some information about the neuroscience, about our brains, and it caused me to look at negative framing in a whole new way. I want to share it with you. So bear with me. I'm going to cut to the clip. So my mentality about understanding framing in our brains, is that if you will imagine our brain is a wheat field and every time we cut a path walking through our wheat field, the path becomes more defined. And the more we cut through that path, the more obvious and clear the outcome is. Our brain is not too dissimilar. When cells talk to other cells, training our brain about what the path looks like. It's just an easy way to get to the other side and our brain likes to save energy and be efficient. But what if the path to your brain has been cut by other people? What if the things that you believe about yourself are just untrue? What if some of the mentalities that you carry with you that shape your total life, the undercurrent of your identity, are built by other people's mentality, that your wheat path has been cut by others? How can we reseed our wheat path to get to the other side? So, Dr. Martin, tell me what you feel about my analogy of the wheat field. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a good image for how the neurons in the brain do evolve over time in the course of life and how those connections, whether it's memory or associations or emotional loops, start to wire themselves from, from day one of life. And, and how right can we moment.
1: slowly reseed that wheat field with healthy practices to move ourselves away from the embedded truths that might just be untrue. The things about ourselves that, you know what, were told to me in childhood, and I've got a list of them, sorry family, who loved me and raised me very well and worked so hard. But you know what, I came away with a bunch of things about my own abilities that completely stopped me in my tracks from doing some of my biggest goals. Little things, like I wasn't very good at math. Or I wasn't very good at, you know, fill in the blank. And in that, the decisions that were made for me inherently deeply wired in my brain stopped me from pursuing careers in math, from taking more math classes. My counselors jumped on board and decided that they were going to encourage a path, not because they weren't trying to to protect me. They thought that if they steered me towards things that I was better at, that I would be Successful in that path. But in turn, what they did is they kept me away from the things that I had deficiencies in. And because they kept me away, I didn't grow in those gap areas. And we know self-esteem is built not by doing what we're good at, but by tackling and being brave and doing what we're not good at. So in that, I really didn't have a great opportunity to tackle some of those things. I was really reared to stay away from particular fields in school, which completely shaped the outcome of where I was going to go to school and where I was going to, you know, choose as a profession in my life. Mm -hmm. How do we stop some of these internal conversations that are so inherently deeply wired in our brains? Not a small question at all. Like, can you just solve, you know, like time travel while you're at it? Like, go for
0: it. Quantum physics and um yeah and just just add another term to, to your example there is, is you're right self-esteem is not built by doing what we what we do well already and ne- neither is resilience resilience is is entering into the stuff that's messy the stuff that's uncomfortable and then at times you know maybe mildly painful to, to try and take on and that's that's where you start to see a, the person's self-doubts you know hopefully diminish where right? is, is that sense of resiliency is you know i, I don't know how this is going to work out um, but I have some basic faith in my ability to at least take the first step nice. and, and deal with what happens. You deal um, with
1: what happens. I think that's, yeah. that's a very interesting mentality of, of coping. You know, I think that there, that's a huge fall down point right there. You know what I like so much about this, Dr. Martin, is that this isn't a one size fits all when it comes to strategies and finding an approach for dealing with doubt, It's different for everybody. So if some of these things resonate with you or if there are aspects of this that that you want to dive more into, you can learn more at AudreyLawrence.org or at com. And you can learn more about some of these questions and all these other resources, we'll list them after the show. I'm not done with you just yet, Dr. Martin. Don't try and leave me just yet, but we're gonna stop for a quick break. We'll be back right after this. Thank you for joining us. It's Audrey Lawrence and you're listening to the Sea Change broadcast. We're here with our expert, Dr. Martin, a professional psychologist, asking him the questions that hold us back in life and how to find better strategies to understanding personal doubt. Dr. Martin, thanks for hanging in there with me. I know that this has been a very intense interview, but I'm not done with you yet. I want to be able to really put my finger on a couple strategies for myself and for the listeners about how we can harness, identify, and understand how to move past self-doubt. Is it really true that cultivating that personal space is a practice for helping us get to doubt? And how do we use that?
0: Sure. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, just going back to what we were talking about with, you know, when the demands of life, you know, chew away at our personal space, whether it's kids or work, then there's no time or energy left to devote to those things that are important to us on, on a personal level, right? Um, the other strategy I think is very important. And this is, you can think about this in, in the the initial comparison you made between the boardroom and our personal lives is that what the boardroom does very well is lays out a mission strategy you know lays out you know the focus for here's what we're gonna do in the next month next six months next year and so forth and and there's measures of progress that it comes up with along the way as well uh, as, as a corporate body we're we're somehow very adept at organizing a number of people uh, in, in a more efficient way than we are ourselves. Um, but I think that the same skills are, are you know, valuable on the personal level of what, what, is, what is the intention? What, what's the goal you want to achieve? Define it. And then create some sort of metric for it. You know, do I want to exercise, you know, three times in the next week for the next three weeks?
1: Yes, please. Two, <laughs> two servings of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, something that's achievable, right? You don't want to, like, overshoot the mark and set yourself up for failure.
1: Ah, achievable. golden words. Everybody grab a pen, write that down. Dr. Martin said it. Okay, (laughs) I love that. Achievable. Okay, I'm listening. Keep going.
0: Right, because otherwise, you know, if if you you set the bar too high, you're just going to most likely fail uh, because nobody runs a marathon the first time they put running shoes on. And, you know, uh, that, that's actually increased the self-doubt that you have to carry around then in the aftermath of it.
1: Ah, so setting myself for failure may add to my negative Nancy weight. Huh. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. So really protecting that, that space of, of success. So, right. it, I mean, it sounds so obvious, but baby steps really does sound like a practice that you know, little bits at a time. Interesting. You know, sometimes we need people to just hold up the flag of obvious, hold up the mirror to our face and say, don't you see this? Isn't this important to you? All right. I love it. Okay. So that's a great strategy. Tell me what else I should know if I'm creating strategies to help identify self-doubt, anything that comes to mind, no pressure.
0: The example of the negative Nancy, one thing that's very helpful about that is is it moves the the passive shutting down of our intentions and our motivations into a more active resistant framework you know so if if that friend of yours was trying to talk you down from exercising three times a week that would be a more obvious kind of force against you than the voice in our own head but i think it's that that pivot of, of recognizing it as this is my relationship with myself and where i might be resisting my goals and then the question comes well why would I want to resist my goals? And, and sometimes just asking that question makes that resistance fall away. Sometimes, would, sometimes there's more, you know, more in-depth looking you need to do uh, for where that resistance comes from.
1: I love it. Why would I resist my goals? I think that that is a strategy. I think that that needs to go into that box of sort of self-love and practice. And this is top of mind question why am I resisting my goals? Because I'll tell you, I woke up this morning and I ate not remotely what I was supposed to eat on my healthy New Year's kick. And I should have just stopped and said, why am I resisting my goals? I have a healthy choice. Oh, because, you know, fill in the blank. I can identify because maybe I'll start to pick up on the pattern that I resist my goals when I met with stress Mm -hmm. or I resist my goals when I met with fill in the blank of your personal time constraint. And as I start to identify the things that cause me to let negative Nancy take hold, those weak moments when I'm not at my best, if I can isolate that moment, then I can shoo her away and sort of protect those moments that I seem to resist my goals. Because as you say, in the space of dieting, I'll use that example. Unfortunately, you know, when you fall off the horse for the day, you know, it's kind of got to start back the next day all over again. Sorry, in my mentality. So- (laughs) You know, it's interesting to just start. it sounds pretty crazy, but it sounds like these conversations I'm having almost out loud. When I was studying the brain, I learned that moving things from the part of our brain that is emotional to the frontal cortex, which is a problem solving brain, is not naturally done. Like I expect my brain, if it's got a headache to kind of know to go take Advil, but instead it sits in the amygdala part of your brain, which is completely emotional and Mm -hmm. sits there and swirls and swirls and swirls all day long. I'm mumbling to myself how I kind of have a headache. It isn't until I mumble it sort of out loud that I'm like, yeah, duh, go take an Advil. And when I vocalize these things as what you're saying to why am I goal blocking or why am I impeding my own goal? Sometimes that out loud conversation is a good way for me to sort of reframe and see it from another perspective. So, okay. So let me recap. We're cultivating a personal sense of well being by giving ourselves time. We are reframing by saying our things out loud. And I have one more question I want to ask you about a strategy. I can tell you that one of my very, very, Weakest points is social comparison. And I feel after being on social media or flipping through something or seeing somebody who has so much greater success than me, that social comparison has a really negative effect on my well being. And then I notice right after that, I kind of feel like Nancy's just sort of looming all around. I feel the cloud. What are some things I can do to address social comparison when it comes to managing self doubt?
0: Oh, another good question. No pressure. <laughs> um, no pressure on that one either. Uh, um, you know, so, David Foster I mean, Wallace had had a, had a very uh, popular talk a while ago called "This Is Water," and he has he has a lot of good ideas I'm going to sort of borrow from. But his, basically, the way he wraps up that that uh, commencement speech is what it was. is something that I refer to a lot in, in my my therapy work. And it, basically, the, the idea revolves around you got to be aware of what you worship. Ah. Uh, you, and, and I'm going to parrot him a little bit and paraphrase him, but, it, but if you worship beauty, you're always going to look at every wrinkle and every gray hair as a threat. Interesting. If you, if you worship your intelligence, there's always going to be somebody that you fear is going to be smarter. right? So, so it's, the social comparison is great at pulling us into you know, the things that we stack up against other people. Um, and inevitably we're gonna find some places where we fall short because that's the way the world works, right?
1: Beautifully Um, said.
0: Yeah, so So I think part of it is is recalibrating, you know, to valuing those things about ourselves. By no means, you don't don't need to dismiss your own intelligence or your beauty or your athletic ability or whatever, but I think it means keeping it in balance with other things that are a bit more um, enduring. And maybe exist a bit outside of that realm of comparison as well.
1: Recalibrating. To me, that was your golden word to mm-hmm. recalibrate. If we stop building value, in the things that in turn have this negative social comparison byproduct. And listen, you know it when you feel it. If you get off social media and you feel like crap after, or you get off the phone with someone who you are, it's in your inner circle and you feel like crap after it, maybe it's time to look at that relationship, time on the internet, time with particular people and recalibrate. It's time to sort of change those social parameters that we measure ourselves against. I understand how the brain works against social comparison, but it's interesting to see it in practice. And Mm. I think that those are really great strategies to help us understand doubt, which is find that space that means so much to us, where we can nurture ourselves, where we can recalibrate some of the standards of what the world means and how we let that creep in and defining where the doubt happens. Let's see, reframing and making sure that Nancy's not riding shotgun with us all day long. But I think the conversation starts internally. And I am so grateful for you taking this time today to us really, tease apart some of those spaces that doubt can sort of sink in. It feels like to me, doubt is this insidious poison, this sort of suspension of what my success looks like. And until I can get my hands around my own practice to propel me through doubt i'm always going to be held back from my true value and that's important for me to break it's important for anybody's goals if you want to hit it you're going to have to work through doubt some people have it mastered i'm going to tell you i don't i absolutely don't have it mastered yet and that conversation feels like an internal battle but i'm grateful for your time today is there anything else that our listeners should know about this topic before we close out
0: um, I think the only thing I also find myself thinking about is in in doing what you just described um, is not to be afraid of it, I and mean, we're often afraid of the stuff that you know exists in the shadows. You know, the stuff that we want to push to the shadows in our lives, whether it's you know the things we're not proud of or you know, the weaknesses we think are within us. But when when you push them away, it actually gives them more power, and that then could feed self doubt as a result. So the idea of of having Humility is actually bringing those closer to center, you know, embracing them, not letting them define you, which is the fear if, if often when one does that, but but embracing them in the sense where you're not afraid of them anymore. You know, you, you know your weak spots and wow. you can account for them if, if you if you bring them a little bit closer to center.
1: Doesn't that seem so opposite to at least how I was raised, which is, you know, Dress yourself up, stand up straight, tuck your shirt in, don't let anybody see your dirty laundry. You know, those adages about wearing clean underwear for a car accident. What does that even mean? Please people, what does that mean? But that sort of, you know, continues to perpetuate this idea that, you know, if you have anything that's subpar, it shouldn't show. You know, you should tuck that away. But it sounds like what you're saying is the truth is if we want to get our hands around mastering these dark corners is to pull them out from those corners and let them see light and take away their power.
0: Exactly. It perpetuates shame and perpetuates the need to keep secrets from from others and from oneself even.
1: And that can't be healthy for getting past your doubt. That's just, you know, creating a big, huge doubt soup that you're going to have for lunch. I don't like that. Exactly. Yep. Amazing. I can't tell you how grateful I am for today. What an awesome opportunity it's been for me to just pick apart a really smart guy's brain who happens to be like a professional psychologist. What an awesome job I have. But you know, I hope that we can follow up on this on another episode with Dr. Andrew Martin. But to my listeners on WWPR and everyone on the Sea Change Network, we're grateful that you listened in today. Please stay tuned and hear who our next guests are.
0: Thank you for listening to the Sea Change Podcast with Audrey Lawrence. Sea Change, a book written by a chick, but not a chick book. To learn more and download your free workbook, go to audreylawrence.org.